Our Father, this is our longing to know you here with us, to understand your voice speaking, to gather us in fellowship and by your spirit to understand that you are present here with us, for you are everywhere at once and always here. But God, we confess that our hearts are not always in tune with yours, so thank you through our worship and the gathering of your saints here this morning that we come prepared and desiring this. Lord, as we gather as a people, there are those things that we also just lift up to you. There are uh, people that we give praise for. We thank you that the Heskas are here today and Pushkar is part of that family now and they're able to be joining us. We thank you for how you have uh, just blessed them and allowing all these things to take place. We also pray for continuing for the Harris family. We pray for Steve, oh God. Would you give him strength through each day as he endures radiation for this cancer that has taken him and that you would continue to strengthen him each day. Father, uh, we lift him up for your healing, for your touch of grace in his life and for Deanna and for all the kids. Continue to walk with them that they would know you. As we have been seeing this morning, they would understand your presence in, uh, in miraculous ways during these days. And Father, we thank you for who you have created us to be as a church. And as we come to your word today, as we think about uh, Jesus and calling disciples, would you stir up our hearts to understand who we are before you? And that in the ways that we have been singing this morning, to understand that in your love and in your grace to us, you have called us to be a people together for your glory. And so help us in all these things, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. When I was a kid, we'd spend uh, a lot of time up at a cottage in Halliburton. It was a cottage that my father grew up at, so it was a long time kind of place for us to enjoy and be a part of. And as we were there, uh, we got to know a lot of neighbors that were around us, and it was a real kind of uh, fun family kind of experience and lots of other families around with lots of other kids and all the kids we'd get out in the water and on boats and in the woods and all those kind of things and so could get fairly spread out around this little bay that had a number of cottages on us and each one of the uh, families had a way of letting kids know that it was time for them to come home and I'm going to share with you this morning. This was my family, and this, you don't understand what this does for my heart when I hear this, all right? I, in the family, I got to keep this after we sold that cottage. When I would hear this sound, it meant, come on home. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That is an original cowbell, Hosteen Bell number one, made by Blum Manufacturing Company in Illinois, right? That sound meant Havercroft kids, time to get on home. The whole bay had their own sounds. The McCarahans, who lived next door to us, they had a whistle. Two blasts meant now, right? One blast meant that's your warning. Two blasts meant get moving, all right? That was how they carved. The Chisholms, who were on the other side, they had this kind of foghorn thing. Wooga. And when that went off, man, okay, Chisholm's time for you to get home. I remember around the bay, there was somebody who had one of those triangles, and when it would ring, it was like the old ranch, you know, get on home over there. Another family, because it got to be kind of a thing, everybody had their own sound, out on their deck, they had this big round gong, 
and uh, it was a big round plate, and it would be bong, and it would kind of echo around all these different sounds. And as they resonated around the bay, all the kids would understand that was their call. In a real pinch, my grandmother, she would let out a classic, woo-hoo, and she had the resonance that that sound would carry. <laughs> and just, you know, when she had to do that, if the bell wasn't handy, that was her call. It got to be this thing for getting us all gathered and for us to understand that we were being called back home. Time to head in. Time to come back and we were needed at home or it was time for dinner or time to get in. And every time you would hear that sound, there was a choice to be made. Because I can remember being out in the woods and playing in a fort and, you know, you're just at that important point where we were about to capture the fort from the kids next door and rocks were flying. And I never knew if my parents knew what actually went on out in the woods. I'm sure they did and let it slide. But, you know, you had to make that moment of choice. Because if you heard the call, and you responded to it and went home, there would basically be reward. You were blessed for doing that. If you didn't respond to the call, and like McCarahan's, there had to be two blasts on the whistle, right? There had to be more. There could be consequences when you got home. This whole idea of call is what we're talking about this morning in Scripture. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling disciples. He's putting into their hearts by his voice this sense of, I have something for you. It's time for you to respond. And as we read these chapters, Luke, I believe, has included them in his gospel because like the other gospel writers, these were some moments that we need to understand the decision-making that was going on around Jesus and in the life of his disciples. So we're in Luke chapter 5 this morning. If you have your Bibles there, turn them. There'll be some scriptures up on the screens for you as well. We're going to read the uh, first 11 verses and then skip down to verses 27 and following. And it's just this idea of the response of disciples. And I believe the response is really the same that we are called to today as well. In many ways, our lives parallel this call that is given to the disciples back here in Luke chapter 5. So we begin at the very first verse. Very simply starts off, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the lake of Galilee, the people were crowding around and listening to the word of God. Just kind of pause there for a moment. I, in this, the flow of Luke's gospel, we've worked our way through the temptation of Jesus in chapter 4, and last week, uh, Pastor Dave was walking us through that rejection in his hometown of Nazareth. A prophet is without honor in his own hometown. But then he goes down into Canaan or uh, Capernaum. And as he's down there, we understand his public ministry is beginning and gaining ground. And he is seeing the growth of his reputation. And so now as we come into chapter 5, he's there at the lake. And these crowds are coming. They're pressing around him. And at the end of this very first verse, it's just an interesting irony that the crowds are coming to listen to the word of God, which is being proclaimed by the word of God. You see that? 
They're coming to listen to the word of God. But Jesus in John 1, 1, when he's introduced there, is called the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God. The word was with God, and the word was God. John loves that phrase, that Jesus is the word of God. His proclamation, his declaration, his revelation to us. And Luke chooses that phrasing to say the crowds are gathering to listen to the word of God. And Jesus himself is proclaiming it. In so many ways, they have no idea of what is going on. You know, it's so hard, and that's what the Gospels are doing. They're filling out the story of Jesus and his proclamation of the kingdom of God. His miracles are capturing the interest of people, perhaps, for good and bad reasons. Some are there just to gawk and to see another kind of magic show take place, another miraculous event. But they're also being drawn to this truth, the good news that he's proclaiming. That God, who in a large part was remote and was hidden from them, is now somehow being made clear to them, being put on display through this teaching of Jesus. And so they've come to hear the word of God. We continue to read verse 2. Jesus saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down, sat down in the boat, and he taught the people from the boat. There's a few interesting things in those couple of verses. You know, what's happening here is a first note, Simon's getting singled out. You know, Jesus goes and sits in one of the boats. I always think, what's the order here? You know, Jesus is teaching, there's all the crowds, he sees the boats and he goes and sits in it. And Simon would be looking and going, hey, like, what's up? <laughs> what are you doing in my boat? You know, you, you don't have a right to be there, but Jesus goes and sits. And then having sat there, he starts to talk to him. And he says, hey, push the boat out from shore. You know, come with me out into the water here. Simon, however... Whatever's happening here, he's curious enough to oblige this preacher. We don't know how much Simon knew of Jesus before this moment. But at that moment, he was like, okay, you're in the boat. Let's get out in the water. They're getting out in the water. One, Jesus is putting some distance between him and the crowd. You know what crowds can be like. If you were on a beach and there's somebody talking, you'd want to get close, and as they start getting close, Jesus gets closer to the water. You know, people are gathering, they'd probably want to talk to him personally, maybe touch him, you know, take the selfies. People like to get close to personalities. So Jesus gets in the boat, because he, when he pushes out in the water, he gets away from the crowd. There's also probably the reality that it helps him speaking, because voices travel over water differently. And so he uses the water as kind of his theater, and it's going to help him project to this crowd that is gathered there. Have you ever experienced that? You've, if you're on a dock or something, and there's a boat way out in the water, you can hear people talking. It's actually very embarrassing at times, because I've heard conversations of somebody out in a boat when we've been up north, and I think, you don't know we can hear you right now. Right, you're talking about people or something, and you know you feel like, hey, you know. Keep your voices down. It's an amazing thing what happens over water. So Jesus is probably doing something like that. He's getting away from the crowd, amplifying the sound. 
It's also interesting to note the details that Luke loves to put into his gospel. The gospels are not just these kind of mythical accounts of this Jesus. It's such a different kind of writing. And the details that always get included. Luke says there's two boats on the shore. And he's taking notes of the crowds that are there. And the fishermen are washing their nets. Right? This is the language of eyewitness accounts. Luke, if you remember back in chapter 1, you know, he's, he's writing this and he's going and he's gathering all the facts that he can find. He's talking to the people that were there. And as they were there, he's saying this was an incredible moment what was happening here. And the last note is, Jesus sat down to teach the people. His ministry was preaching and teaching. At the end of uh, Mark chapter 4, at the end of when he was in Nazareth, and then he went down to Capernaum, and the people in Capernaum want him to stay longer, and he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus was sent to this world, the Son of God, born as a baby through the manger to grow and to develop into this ministry where he would declare the good news of the kingdom of God. That he would tell people that there is an invitation to be brought into the presence of the living God, to, to understand that there is a righteousness, as he talks primarily to a Jewish context in the beginning, that he speaks to them that there is a righteousness that can be known apart from the law, as Paul will say it in Romans. You know, there's good news that the common person, that we could all come into this relationship with God, that it's good news that God desires to be in this relationship with you. And so as Jesus pushes out in this boat and he sits down and teaches, this is his preaching. Now, we're not given what his sermon is in this context. It just says that he pushed out and he began to teach. But we know he's teaching because he says that's why he was sent. It's why he came, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And so then you begin reading in verse 4. And we're not given a lot of details what the preaching was about. It just says, when he had finished speaking. I wonder how long Jesus' sermons were. Was he a half-hour preacher? 20-minute preacher? One hour? We don't know. But it says when he'd finished speaking, when his time was complete and he would know exactly how long it should be done, he then turns to Peter, to Simon, and he says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. He turns and speaks more directly to Simon. He's, he said, you know, I'm in the boat, let's go out in the water. And now he's saying, okay, Simon, here's a command. Push out into deep water and put your nets down for a catch. And look how Simon answers. Master, great deal of respect there. He understands he's in the presence of someone that he is perhaps the like I've never been in the presence of before as a fisherman in Galilee, you know, rough edges and all those kind of things, not highly educated master. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, master, I need to teach you something. 
you know, we, we've been at it all night, and that's when you usually fish. <laughs> you know, dusk and dawn, we've worked hard at this and nothing. You know, is it really I should be putting out in the deep water? J.D. Greer, and I was, I was reading some of his about this, he says, how much of a pause took place here? <laughs> and he says it's a pause with eternal significance. Because Peter, whether it was a physical pause or at least in his brain, he's thinking, who is this guy to be giving me orders? Who is he to be commanding me? Who's this carpenter to be telling me, a fisherman, how to do my business? Right? And we've done it all night. There's no fish out there. This makes no sense to go out and throw the nets out again. Peter, in that moment, however long that pause was, had to work out all of these things within his head. It's that moment of decision, of eternal significance. I wonder what Jesus was teaching when Peter was sitting there in the boat with him and listening. You know, Peter was the one captive audience. If you were on the beach, you could get up and leave. If you're in the boat with Jesus, you were there in the boat. You had to be listening. Was it that God would be raising up a prophet greater than Moses? And he was even now among them? Did he talk about David and David's promises of the coming Messiah king who would come and enter and reign in a new kingdom? Did he use Isaiah and speak of, you know, that suffering servant that was going to come and be for the remission of sins and call the sheep back to himself. Whatever it was, after preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, Simon, let's go back out into deeper water and throw your nets out and do some fishing. We've been at it all night, Jesus. Why would I do this? Why? What would I gain from this? But Peter's heart is somehow compelled to listen. Peter's heart has an understanding that there is more at stake here. Peter's heart understands that there is a call being given to him and there will be consequences upon his life. If Peter said, no, we're heading back to the beach, what a change it would have been for his life and in the kingdom. But rather... Peter finishes after that hidden pause. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you've said it, Jesus. Do you hear that choice to obey? In spite of all the doubts he could have had, he accepts this invitation. And in that moment of pause, there's a there's a. There's a change that's going to take place in Peter's life resulting from this. Peter's life is never going to be the same again because he got in the boat with Jesus or Jesus got into his boat and gave him this opportunity of obedience and put this call into his life. Followers of Jesus have moment like this. To follow Jesus and 
And for some, it's a very dramatic moment. Some, some in this room could tell you the moment that they understood that Jesus was calling them, that Jesus was coming alongside and saying, hey, will you be obedient to me? Others will have a longer kind of staged out story. In my own life, my story of the call of Jesus in my life, when I was a little kid, I understood that I needed to know Jesus as Savior. But there was a whole long period of time, and it wasn't until my teenage years that that I really came to grips with what it was going to be if I was going to be a follower of Christ. I know in my life, I've gone through time. So did I become a follower when I was a kid about six years old, or did I become a follower when I was a teen? At this point in my life, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) I know I'm committed. So you see, I don't maybe have that dramatic moment. It's more of a calling over time. But there was a moment I know from Scripture that I came to an obedience in Christ, and the Spirit made His voice alive in my heart, And in my life, and I had to respond in him, to him, with a moment of obedience and saying, yes, Jesus. Whatever it was, I wasn't called to throw my nets out on the other side of the boat. But I was called to an obedience that said, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to give up sort of your reputation among some friends that you probably shouldn't be having the reputation with? Jesus, there is a call of what it's going to be for us to follow him and to be brought into his family. Peter, in this moment, responds with obedience. And then we start reading in verse 6 what happens. So it says there, when they, had, when they had done this, when they'd gone out deeper, when they threw their nets over the side, and it says they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come over and help them. And they came, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Whoa, a lot happened in those moments after Peter said, okay, let's fish. Jesus, yeah, let's, let's do what you say. Let's go out, throw the nets over the side. Look back in verse 6. The catch was incredible. The boats began to sink. They had so many fish on board. I mean, can you, I, if you like to fish, you can't imagine this. I mean, I've gone out fishing. I'm glad if I catch a couple. <laughs> I imagine I've never been in a commercial fishing boat, and they, you know, they catch nets full. But to catch so many that your boat begins to sink. Remember, these are commercial fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. These were professional fishermen. This wasn't some little dinghy that they had. This would have been a 20 to 30 foot foot boat that had a bit of a crew on it with huge nets, and they had so many fish that they were starting to sink. Two boatloads of them. And we walk with Peter, and I think what we see are some simple principles of discipleship, what it is to respond to the call of Jesus in our lives. Do you see Peter's first reaction? 
Peter's first reaction when they start and they have the, the boats are starting to sink. And when he sees this happening, he falls at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me, Lord. Get away from me. I can't, I can't stand being here in your presence. For I am a sinner. God, get, or Lord, get away from me. You see, the catch of the fish was otherworldly. This, this, you know, this was not in any way natural. This was something that was happening miraculously. And Peter made that incredible and, and primary connection that this man standing in his boat was no mere man. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just another prophet. There was power. There was a demonstration of God's presence about him that he needed to realize. In fact, he recognized within Jesus the presence of holiness because his response is what? I am a sinful man. Somewhere in your encounter with Jesus, when he speaks to your heart, when the Spirit directs an awareness that he is who he is claiming to be, when you come face to face with his holiness, you are aware of your complete lack of it aware of our sinfulness is a part of our call. For Jesus needs to help us understand what the kingdom of glory and of holiness is about and how unfit we are for it. And Peter came to that incredible realization standing in the presence of Jesus in a boat that was about to sink because there's so many fish in it. Jesus, you know, get away from me. I cannot be here in your presence. And you see, his second reaction is fear. We know this because what does Jesus say to him? Don't be afraid. <laughs> he can see the fear rising up in Peter. What was this fear about? I think, first of all, it was probably a fear of just his recognition of sin and the judgment of God that was upon him. The Spirit of God brings upon us the recognition, the conviction of our sins. He brings upon us the dread of the wrath to come. And Peter was experiencing all that. But there is also that fear that is the fear of the Lord, that fear of God that is such an attractive thing for us. See, when I fear God in his holiness, I am subdued and humiliated in my sin. But I am also so attracted to his glory. And just to think that, that to be in his glory, even a bit of it, what a wonder that must be. You know, that song we were just singing, his, his presence, Lord, can we endure it? We long to be in it, but Lord, to be in your presence is an awesome thing. It's that fearful, awful, awesome reverence that comes with recognizing Jesus. And part of his call upon your life is for you, one, to recognize your sin, but also to recognize what a glorious thing it is to be called by Jesus, to be invited into his presence. Don't be afraid, Peter. And how does he finish that? For from now on, you are going to fish for people. Peter, all these fish that you just caught... <laughs> All these fish that I just brought into your boat, that's, that's going to be you with people. 
Peter, this is just an illustration of what I'm going to do through your life. Peter, this is what it means to be a follower of mine. And when the kingdom is being made known, people are going to be drawn into this kingdom through you. Your faith, your obedience has, has brought you to me through grace. And now we see the glory of God together. And so now I give you this invitation to join me even further, to put your faith in me. Peter, I've got plans for you. I've got, I've got things for you to do. And it's not about these fish. It's about what God wants to do among the people of this world. Peter, will you join me? Will you be a part of this? Will you see the future that I see for you? That's a part of the call of Jesus in our lives. Part of the call of Jesus in your life is, yes, you need to understand you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you should be afraid because of the wrath of God that is to come, but you should also be in awe at the one who has redeemed you and brought you out of that and has saved you for heaven, for an, eternal, an eternity in his presence. And he says, because of that, now join me here in what we are going to do on this earth. So how's it all finished? It says, so they pulled up their boats and they left everything and followed him. Just boom, boom, boom. Wow, isn't that incredible? <laughs> just seems like they were so overwhelmed that they were ready to just surrender themselves to Jesus to give themselves over to him. And that word surrender can be a negative and it can be a positive. Surrender is a negative when you've been beaten down and subdued. You know, when you're now under subjection to somebody else and you are forced to surrender. But surrender is also a liberating thing. Surrender, when I surrender to a, to a, a king, when I surrender to one who has my best purposes at heart, when I submit myself to one who has his purposes and his love for me, it means I'm lining up with him. And Peter and his friends in this moment, because did you see the change of tense? It says that they left everything. They pulled their boats, they left everything and followed him. James and John, who get mentioned in this passage, they too were coming with Simon, with Peter to become the apostles, to become the, the disciples of Jesus. They're ready to surrender, to submit themselves to Jesus as Lord. And they see in him a hope for the future and, and they are ready to give up their livelihoods. They're ready to give up all that they have to that point and just step into service with Jesus. Does this mean that we all have this call, that we all are supposed to just give up everything, our vocation, our school, move, do all of these things? Not at all. It means what they were being called to at that moment. It means what they were being asked to do, but it does mean that we all will be called in submission. A part of our discipleship to Jesus means that I see Jesus as my Savior and I will bow before him as Lord and I say, Lord, I now come with empty hands before you for your directing in my life. Use me as you will want to use me. See, this is the road of discipleship. The road of discipleship that we are being asked to call or being called to. And not just by me, not by kind of this church, but by Jesus, the one who issues these call in our lives. 
What's the road look like? Well, it begins by hearing the word of God. It begins by coming into a, an understanding of what Jesus has preached in the gospel. It comes to an understanding of what God has proclaimed as creator, as the one who desires that all should come and be brought into a sense of relationship with him and that he is redeeming this world that was broken by sin. You need to hear the word of God so that your faith and that your hope is based on that which is true and right. You're here this morning hearing that, so you're all in step one. <laughs> You've all started on the road. You're hearing the word of God. If you're a part of this church, you hear the word of God. Where are you on the road, though? There's more steps. And then there's a call to obedience. There's a call that comes in our life. It's a call to faith. It's that moment when Jesus makes himself alive in your heart. It's when Jesus speaks to you and says, now is the time. Do you understand who I truly am? That I've come to die for your sins and to offer myself as a sacrifice that you can be brought into an eternal relationship with my Father and my spirit will indwell you. There's this moment of call that calls for an obedience. It's going to be an awareness of sin. You're going to become aware that you are a sinner who is undone without the help of a Savior. It could be fear. You could be fearful of the coming wrath because you have not moved into a relationship with God yet. It can also be that, that awesome fear that says, I want to be closer and closer to his presence. And then there's a call to join Jesus, to surrender to his lordship. These are the steps. This is what it is to be called. Now, many of you in this room have, have journeyed on this road and are down it, but we, all, we always come to points of review. <laughs> We're always coming to these moments of of considering what it is to be in this discipleship, to be a follower of Jesus. Some of you need to be asking, have I started on the road? Some are asking, where's, where's the awareness of sin that I've not been responding to? What does it mean for me to submit to his lordship further? We're going to add one other story about call today. We're going to skip down to verse 27, where Jesus calls a man by the name of Levi. It's kind of a similar pattern, although it doesn't go into as much detail. Down in verse 27, we read there that after this, this is after Jesus calls these men and disciples, and there's a couple of uh, miracles that he performs. After all this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Got to understand, tax collectors, and you've, you've heard these things, I'm sure, if you've been around church a while, tax collectors... Not like our tax collectors, who aren't the most loved individuals. But in this day, tax collectors were really seen like mobsters. They were those who were, were really abusing the, the system. They were they, there that were collecting taxes, yes, but they could skim off the top all they could get extra. And so they would bully people, they would badger people, and they were wealthy not because of righteousness. They were wealthy because of their evil and were recognized for that way. So Jesus goes out and sees a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. 
as people were coming into the town, he would be sitting there and saying, pay your taxes, pay your taxes, and really give me all you got. And Jesus says, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Wow, I want more details of this story. <laughs> right? Like, what, what happened there? Was this, was this the first time Levi met Jesus? I suspect not. <laughs> I suspect Levi had some understanding of who Jesus was. So on this day when he sees Levi sitting at his tax booth and he comes and says, follow me, Levi was ready, obviously. But Levi heard this call and he's moved to obedience and he gets up and like Peter and James and John, leaves everything, leaves his wealth, leaves his table. But it's also saying he's leaving his lifestyle. He's leaving who he is behind, his reputation, his means of livelihood. He's leaving it all and following Jesus. That's the similarity. He hears the invitation he obeys, he follows Jesus, and what happens next? Obviously, what Luke wants us to really focus on with Levi is this. What happens next? Because he gives us so little about the starting point. So with Levi, this next section is understand this about the call of a disciple. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There is a great rebuke to the Pharisees in here. But there is also a great commendation for Levi as his disciple. Levi's first response to be invited into Jesus' confidence is to hold a banquet. <laughs> and he invites all his tax collector friends. All the, the big wigs of the mobsters of the town all gather in the same place, and all their entourage, the little, you know, the little toadstool collectors and all those kind of things, they were recognized as the sinners. And it caused this great stir among the Pharisees, the Pharisees, those keepers of the law. You know, and they looked on these people that were gathering there, the tax collectors, those who rejected the law, those who were the lawbreakers, those who are sinners, openly rebellious, and ultimately to the Pharisees, dirty before God. They had no place with God. And to the Pharisees, they would really say, and we have, we have no place with them either. We have no place to go. We wouldn't be near them. We wouldn't want to be tainted by them. And there's an attitude that is there that, you know, strikes right against what the good news is about. Sharing the good news is a countercultural experience. <laughs> and it will produce awkward moments. There will be language, there will be jokes, there will be topics of discussion that are uncomfortable with those who are not part of the kingdom. Still, many opportunities can be pursued and we can follow up on that. We need to look for ways that our relationships can be an attraction. Levi said, my friends, 
these other sinners need to hear this news because I've been liberated by it. I've been set free by it. And the contrasting attitude of the Pharisees is put to rebuke because they're so concerned with appearance that people get crushed or ignored in their process. Look what one writer says about this when they have this, uh, this following. One writer says about what the Pharisees are thinking about. He says, purity at the expense of serving people is not purity. It is isolationism, and it's sin. Jesus is against such an approach to engaging the world. Though the Pharisees have a piety, it is a destructive piety that ignores the needs of people. Jesus came for those who know they need him. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And do you hear what his final words are in this case? That remind us what our mission is? It involves preaching a call of repentance to sinners. We have to be so careful that we are not only reaching out to the attractive, to those who seem to be pretty well off, but also to the ostracized and the rejected, for Jesus had a special place in his heart for them. He came to eat with the tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because they were probably most acutely aware of how much they needed him. So for anyone to hear this call, there's a need to recognize your needs and your inability to hear oneself. It's a need to come and allow God to take control, to allow God to have control in your lives. And Levi's response to Jesus so such a change of direction. The banquet he gives Jesus is not just an expression of thanks to Jesus. It's a recognition that since God so graciously moved into his life, he desired the same for his friends. So I want to add one more piece to this road of discipleship. We need to understand that we need to hear the word of God. We need to listen to his call to obedience to come in faith. We need to be aware of our sin and, and in repentance take it to Jesus so then we might be able to cultivate this fear of the Lord and, and walk with him in this newness of life and surrendering ourselves to his lordship. And the final piece of discipleship is we need to be inviting others to the banquet. We need to be looking at those around us and saying, Lord, who is there that I need to invite into what I've experienced in Jesus? Who are your tax collectors and sinners? You know, who are the people that you would want to see share in the kingdom of God with you? See, this is the full call of someone who is coming as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Trent, you and the team, come on back up. and We're going to finish off in prayer. We're going to sing... Uh, sing a hymn to God in closing, not in total closing. We're going to finish this part because that gives some time just to, to think about some of the things I've been talking about for the last little bit, about these responses of Peter, the response of Levi. And then we're going to come and pray together for a few minutes together. Just to pray and think about what our response might be. What our response might be to the call of Jesus to us as disciples. Father, as we have worked our way through this passage of Scripture this morning, I pray that it is your Spirit who would be speaking to us, that he would take the words that I've, that I've shared and make them your word to us. Oh, Spirit, would you, 
prick those inner places of our hearts, reminding us of who you want us to be in light of who you are. Father, if there is anyone here who does not know what it is to be walking in a new life with Jesus, Lord, would this be a day when you might call them into grace and into salvation? So as we sing, Lord, would your spirit just work through our hearts, and then as we come to pray again, prepare us for this.